Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Well, hello, Voice America, and welcome back to Solutions and Strategies, Taking on the Challenge with Dr. Sean. I want to welcome you back this morning, and I hope you've had a good week and have had a chance to celebrate some of your successes while you continually are working on some of those challenges that we all have in our lives. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. This week, I want to continue our series on mindfulness and applied behavior analysis, and I want to make an attempt to demonstrate how mindfulness can be used when working with individuals with behavioral issues and disabilities. It's not necessarily that the person with the actual behavioral problem is going to uh, understand the mindfulness issues. They may or may not. What will occur is that you as an individual will begin to understand how you approach things differently and how you look at a behavioral issue that might come up. Because for the most part, we deal a lot with fear, guilt, and history. And maybe history and fear kind of go hand in hand. But we have these concerns that we have not done well in the past with a situation, that we've not done well with a person in the past. So we fear that we're going to do poorly with them again. That's kind of a, a rut a lot of interventionists can get into because they often feel that they're trying and they're putting out interventions and people aren't working on them and people aren't implementing them, therefore they're not happening. And that's true, but there's, there's reasons behind why people do or don't implement something. And usually the reasons why they don't, when they have been told or they even know that it will help them, is that they're fearful. They're fearful of their own history of failure. And so that's a form of rigidity also in one's head not to be able to get through that. This week I want to continue our series on acceptance and commitment therapy because I want the listener to have a good understanding of what ACT is and I talked about it on the last show. We've been talking about mindfulness for several weeks. Now I want to connect it to applied behavior analysis and what we can do to help people use mindfulness to change their behavior towards a desired outcome. Last time I brought up several new concepts. Some of these ideas were psychological flexibility, functional contextualism, cognitive diffusion, as just a few concepts. And today I want to define psychological flexibility and hopefully get into functional contextualism also. 
a course is going to be taught in counseling and one of the emphasis of the course is using mindfulness and act and again acceptance commitment therapy or acceptance commitment training and so this show will also be used to teach some coursework and it's really important for students and a student can be anything a student can be a grad student a student can be somebody who's just listening to the podcast a student can be a parent who's trying to learn a new skill or of course could be the kid counseling in applied behavior analysis is often thought of like being two ends of the the continuum and not necessarily going hand in hand. What we want to use mindfulness for in our applied behavior analysis is to be able to see where somebody may be or see how somebody may be approaching something and seeing if their own psychological rigidity is stopping them from doing that. So, psychological flexibility is extremely important in that it's going to allow the person to move through problems and conflicts a lot easier. And that's, you know, one of the main reasons why one might want to work on psychological flexibility. But before we get into that... I just want to remind the listener that when we see somebody that's got a behavior problem, okay, and we define it as a behavior problem, I define it as a behavioral communication. When we see somebody attempting to communicate some issue through their behavior, we as the professional, as the parent, as the care provider, as the person who cares about the other person, needs to look at why the person may be engaging in that behavior and is it a protective factor for them. So prior to removing any kind of behavior problem, behavioral challenge, I always want to look at whether or not that behavioral issue is actually helping them in some way. For instance, when we look at obsessive compulsive behaviors, checking the stove 20 times, locking and unlocking the front door, having to come back to the house several times because one forgot or one is unsure of whether or not they locked the door or turned off the stove or turned off a light or whatever is going on in their head, certain rituals that might occur occur for a reason. In past shows, I've talked about this, where the ritual is actually what's keeping the person sane, keeping the person able to deal with whatever issue it is that's bothering them. So prior to just removing the ritual for somebody with obsessive-compulsive disorder we got to look at what that's serving. And is that serving a purpose for them 
that we can replace in some way. And if we can't replace it in some way, we're not going to remove it until we can find a way to reduce the stress or reduce the issue that's interfering with the person in the first place and why they're going through the rituals. They don't just go through the rituals just for the heck of it. They go through them because they have a protective factor. So when somebody is psychologically rigid, they may also have that rigidity as a protective factor. So before, you know, I got into defining what a psychological flexibility is and talking about how it's, you know, so necessary throughout life, I want to point out that it's pretty important to realize that these things that we call mental illness or that we call rituals or disorders, they may have protective factors behind them. And when they do, it's not our job to remove protection. It's our job to reduce their need for it. It's not our job to remove protection. It's our job to remove the need for it. So important to understand that. Because it's a much bigger issue than whether or not you got the right treatment plan in place. You know... This brings up another topic, and I'm going to quickly go into it because it's really important. You know, when you've got a kid with a problem, yes, many, many, many children are born with organic issues. They have problems with the brain, processing issues, language issues, very specific issues to neurology. And because of those neurological issues, they, quote-unquote, act out. What we have to realize is that that child is growing up in an environment. And in that environment, promotes certain things. It will promote good behaviors. It will promote undesired behaviors. When a kid is growing up in a environment that does not promote a healthy stance for him or her, what we often see is that the kid starts to react. The kid starts to act out because he's got lots of things going on around him. Now, this is more maybe inclined for the individual who does not necessarily have neurological issues, but has dealt with a lot of psychological things around them. And what ends up happening is that that kiddo becomes the identified patient. He becomes the one that gets the treatment. He becomes the one that is put on medication. He becomes the one that is focused on. When family issues are not focused on, home issues are not focused on, in-classroom issues are not focused on, but rather just the one kid. 
And it's really important for us to realize that that child was just born into the world. So even if he has neurological issues, he's only a product of his environment. And we have to look at ourselves as parents, teachers, professionals, and make sure that we aren't trying to resolve internal conflictual issues in a kid that really have external origins. So we've come to our first break, and when we get back, I'm going to dive into psychological flexibility, the definition and how it's used in life. But I want you to continue to think about this identified patient issue and know that a kid can only do what he's born into life to do. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey. Breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice. Much of it conflicting. Some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, welcome back. I'm always happy when we take our first break because you all can go get a cup of coffee or get yourselves going for the day. So uh, we were talking about the idea of, well, several different ideas, but one was in regards to changing children and changing people and when they have certain issues. And sometimes 
when we focus too much on the kid, he becomes the identified patient. And we can't really resolve the issue because it's really not a kid-centered issue. It's a family-centered issue, or it's a community-centered issue, or it's a school-centered issue, which kind of is a community-centered issue. So you can't resolve, if you're working on the wrong problem, you're not going to resolve anything. And the other thing is, and this might sound kind of, I don't know, I don't know how you want to define what I'm about to say, but take it easy on the kid. Don't be so hard on him to be different because he is who he is and he's only a product of what he grew up into. So even when the kid has got neurological issues and they are neurologically based, he still reacts to certain things that are in his environment. And you as a parent are doing the best that you can. So go easier on yourself, go easier on the kid, and you will see that you'll start to enjoy your life a little bit more rather than being on the constant mode of trying to change everything. And that goes for teachers that are listening and care providers and behaviorists and everybody else. Don't make change your hill to die on. What you want to focus on is a better existence, an easier existence, a stressless existence. Because when you have less stress, you will sleep better, eat better, feel better. So with a kiddo. And it is stressful for the kiddo to be under treatments all the time. They're helping. But remember that human being, ups and downs, and there are going to be times when he simply just can't do it. And there are going to be times when we as observers on the outside are going to go, why in the world is this happening? And there's not going to be an answer to it. And take that in and observe it. Take it in that there's no answer to it. It is okay. You're still going to be able to live your life and work with your kiddo. But there may just not be an answer to the certain thing that you're looking for. So you go day by day. You go, you stay present. Remember that the biggest part of mindfulness is that ability to stay in the now. Stay in the present. We stay away from the past because that's our histories and our depressions. We stay away from the future because that is this anxiety-provoking situation. Even to say, I hope things will get better. I hope that I can do it. I hope. The word hope, even though for most of us it's been a positive word throughout our lives, it's really not. The word hope really leads to the beginning of failure because you've already stated to yourself you can't do it. So you can do it. You're not going to hope for it. You are doing it. Whatever you are doing right now, you're doing it. A colleague recently left our organization, moved to Northern, 
California and is starting with another organization. And she really kept saying to me, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. Well, she was packing her stuff. Some things were already sent. She was already had a place to live there, had a job lined up, was going to start the job three days later. It's not that whether or not she could do it. She was doing it, but she couldn't observe what she was doing because she was so caught up in the future of whether she'd be successful or not. Usually when you're anxious and fearful of doing something, you might actually find yourself in the midst of doing it and not being able to recognize the fact that you're doing it. So let's uh, get into what psychological flexibility is with all of that pre-info that I, that I laid out. Flexibility is a a personality trait, and it describes the extent to which a person can cope and change in circumstances and think about problems and tasks in a novel and creative way. It's hard. Flexibility. Cope with changes in circumstances. Think about problems and tasks in a novel way. You always have to think about them in a new, different, exciting, motivating way. Ain't going to happen. But the more you allow yourself to be in the moment, automatically the more flexible you'll be because you're starting to observe what's going on around you. This trait is used when stressors or unexpected events occur, requiring a person to change their stance, outlook, or commitment. Flexible personality should not be confused with cognitive flexibility, which is the ability to switch between two concepts, as well as simultaneously think about multiple concepts. Researchers of cognitive flexibility describe it as the ability to switch one's thinking and attention between tasks. Now, let's talk a little bit about cognitive flexibility, because that does have a, a play in our psychological flexibility. One issue in regards to cognitive flexibility is that shifting of attention. Now, let's look at it from a neurological and a psychological point. From a neurological point, some people have the inability to shift attention. And it is what we might call attention deficit disorder. Many people with autism have the difficulty of switching attention from one issue to the next. So when you have a neurological inability to switch attention, one, the provider, the person working with that person needs to recognize that. You know, if somebody's blind, you don't just say, okay, well, then try and see because it's the same thing. If part of the brain is not working the way it's supposed to, it's not working. Therefore, we need to put some things into place that might help them to shift attention. And I'm not really into that today, but a cognitive shift of, of attention may be to say to the person who's focusing on one thing, hey, tell me your name, touch your nose, clap three times, great. Now, let's talk about this, which actually 
may give them a cognitive switch to be able to move from one thing to the next simply by answering simple questions. But cognitive switching and cognitive flexibility is difficult <coughs> for a lot of people. And so, and especially the people that you're going to be working with and the people that you're listening to the show for in the first place, they're going to have some challenges in understanding multiple concepts, especially thinking about multiple concepts at once. Flexibility or psychological flexibility, as it's sometimes referred, is the ability to adapt to situational demand and life demands and commit to new behaviors. Commit to new behaviors. So the first thing that I talked about was you got to be ready to accept what it is that's going on around you, whatever it is, whether it's the person, whether it's environmental issues going on, but we have to accept the fact that we're in the situation that we're in and be able to presently observe that situation. But then once we have accepted the situation that we're in, well, then we're going to commit to making life changes that are going to assist us in actually creating that psychological flexibility. We're going to commit by to behaviors that are going to help us adapt to situational demands, that are going to help us balance life's demands. But it's that commitment that we're all so afraid of because that is going to lead to doing something differently. But before you even start to quote-unquote commit to change, keep looking around you. Keep observing what is going on in front of you so that you can stay in the now and you can stay in the ability to really observe the true happenings. Not what your mind is inventing, not what your mind is concerned about due to past histories, not what your mind is concerned about due to future fears, but just what it is that's actually presently occurring. It's, a, it's not easy. Nothing that I'm saying is going to come easily. And it also becomes more difficult when others around you aren't in the present and are consistently fearful of the future or shamed by their past. If you are the only one that's in the now, it's you're going to find it difficult. You're going to find it difficult for others ar around you to interact with them and to be successful in what you're trying to do. So sometimes you got to not even start with the kiddo in front of you, but the people that are next to you, your husband, your fellow teacher, the classroom assistants, 
brothers, sisters, other people that are interacting. So we've come to our second break, and when we return, we will continue to discuss and define psychological flexibility. Be back in a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having a supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, welcome back. You caught me with my coffee in my mouth. <clears throat> so, okay, sorry. We have been discussing several things today. We are in the midst of a conversation discussing the idea of psychological flexibility. And due to the different facets of the definition of psychological flexibility, there are many problems when measuring it. And there are multiple questionnaires that are out there to attempt to do so. One I found that uh, I think is a, a very useful tool is the acceptance and action questionnaire. The acceptance and action questionnaire was developed in order to measure experiential avoidance. This test found that higher levels of avoidance were linked to higher levels of general psychopathology, depression, anxiety, fears, and lower quality of life. It also measured avoid, avoidant coping 
and self-deceptive positivity. It was later decided that the AAQ actually measured psychological flexibility and not experiential avoidance. It was used until the AAQ-2 was, was created. Now, the AAQ-2 uh, was developed in order to improve upon the faults of the AAQ. The original AAQ had faults in scale, brevity, the item wording, and item selection procedures that caused insufficient of alpha levels, which is whether or not it's significant or not. So the AQ, AAQ2 scores are found to predict many outcomes, including mental health and work absence rates. The AAQ2 also was found to be more psychometrically consistent than others than the original AAQ. Now, I want to go back for a second. One of the scores found that it predicts many outcomes, including mental health and work absences. Work absences. A work absence doesn't necessarily just mean not going to your employer. It also means uh, not going to the treatment that day, canceling it because of whatever reasons you've determined it needs to be canceled, but usually it's because you're avoiding and you're concerned about whether or not you can be successful or not, so you back off completely and you're absent. It's the same thing that goes on at work, that people can be absent from work because they're fearful, they're anxious, they're feeling like they're not going to be able to do what they've been asked to do. At Total Programs, we have over 300 employees and more than 500 clients. And we try to emphasize good psychological health for our employees. We try and give them lots of opportunities to ask questions, to come to trainings, to be together so that collegially they can uh, uh, support each other. So it's a, it's a big issue in regards to the work that we do because unfortunately the one time that the person stays home does reinforce the next time they're fearful doing the same thing. And so with certain questionnaires, you might find what's going on with your employee or what's going on with a parent or what's going on with a, you know, a care provider or a teacher so that you can psychometrically kind of begin to understand uh, what things are bothering them and what things work for them. So let's continue a little bit. Laboratory measures of flexibility are consistent with how flexible people are in their actual lives. Flexibility measured in laboratory settings even predicted how flexible people will be in real life. More recently, however, the validity of the AAQ has, again, been brought into question primarily by inconsistent results. Recent studies have shown that both versions of the AAQ appear to measure the same thing, which is neuroticism negative affects and rather than experiential avoidance. So it's something that they are working on, but it's a very difficult thing to measure. But you can begin to observe patterns, patterns of staff members being absent, patterns of staff members doing certain things around certain kids, incident reports occurring a lot. So when somebody is avoiding a situation, they can do it in multiple ways, and they're not necessarily 
just escaping the immediate task in front of them. You know, they actually can become ill and sick because of their own stress. And that has to be observed. The relationships can start to break down between people because they're not spending the time together or because they are avoiding each other. So let's talk about that a little bit. Parent-child relationships. Research has shown that the relationship between parent and child distress may be influenced by parent psychological flexibility. When the parents are psychologically inflexible, they cause more stress in their families. And a similar study looked at longitudinal relationships between perceived parenting styles and uh, psychological flexibility among students over a six-year period, 7th to 12th graders. It's always interesting to look at long-term studies and see if things are one-time events or if there is a pattern of how people are behaving in the, in the study. Results showed that psychological flexibility decreased with age, illustrating that as children grow older, they become more set in their thoughts and habits, being less likely to change them due to circumstances. Now, being less likely to change them due to circumstances, but more likely to become rigid. Less likely to become inflexible due to circumstances, but more likely to be rigid. And the other issue is, as they grow older, where what happens as you grow older? You have history. And your histories either reinforce or don't reinforce you. And they can have a negative reinforcement factor. Now, positive reinforcement, as you know, gives you something that makes you happy. You might have a primary need met like food or warmth or a secondary need met like socially. So a good positive reinforcer socially could just be saying to your kid, great job, kiddo. But as history occurs, we also have what's called negative reinforcement. And when something aversive happens to us, we go into certain modes. And it's usually escape avoidance. So those circumstances that we run into as we get older, the more and more we have success is great. We're probably going to dive into that thing again. But when we have challenges and we have a mindset that challenges are not okay, that setbacks are not okay, that you always have to be on the same path, and if you're not on that path, you're completely off, then you tend to uh, have challenges. Results also indicated that authoritarian parent styles predicted low psychological flexibility in children. This demonstrates that parents who over-controlled their children tend to restrict how well their children cope with stressors in their life. So we used to have what I call a, a, you know, helicopter parents that would hover over and make sure that, you know, things went okay. And now there's a new one. I guess it's called bulldozer parent who just knocks any problems out of the way of the kid. Okay, that's very kind of them as parents, but it does not set up the kid 
to be able to psychologically deal with issues as they come up. So you're going to have a kid who's, yeah, protected, but unable to really observe the present moment and is either waiting for somebody else to come and save them or will avoid completely because they do not know how to problem solve. And one of the key factors in problem solving is psychological flexibility. Results show that children with psychological flexibility in the ninth grade were more likely to have decreases in authoritarian and increases in authoritative parenting styles later on. Authoritative parenting styles seem to be associated with psychological flexibility in children. Authoritative parents tend to be more warm, fair, and encouraging than other parenting styles, which may result, or maybe why children are raised by this style, have more psychological flexibility. The children are encouraged. So sorry. Children are encouraged to be independent and are supported so that they're able to adjust to situations that, that they do not predict uh, to go well. Let me say that again. The children are encouraged to be independent and are supported so they are able to adjust to situations that do not go as predicted. Okay, so everything doesn't go the way that you think it's going to go. And... An authoritative parent style may tend to be more warm where you are maybe assisting that kid to problem solve on his own. You're teaching him to accept changes, to accept unpredictability. If you freak out as a parent, teacher, care provider, interventionist, when things don't go exactly the way that you thought they were going to, your kid's going to be that way too. Whether he's your own child or a child you're working with, will be on edge, not able to deal with small little inconsistencies in their predicted outcomes, and will live a pretty stressful existence. So in that case, psychological flexibility does allow the child to be a little bit more open to problem solving. Okay, so we've come upon another break. We'll be back in a couple minutes and we'll continue our discussion. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. 
Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. So we were we're just talking about different parenting styles and how they lead to the ability to either problem solve or not problem solve. And, you know, I I didn't really define anything, but there are really four types of parenting styles. One of them is authoritarian or disciplinarian, and that's kind of like when you're a parent that pretty much controls everything that goes on and you're very rule oriented and you yeah you have high standards but they may be too much for the kid. Permissive parent it's kind of the opposite of that. They kind of let the kiddo do what they want to do, discover things on their own, which is great. It allows for risk taking, which is good, but it does not um, always guide a kid in the direction that he may need to go in because he doesn't have any structure. Uninvolved, another parenting style, is exactly as it states. The parent does not interfere with the child's life and does not even get into what the kid does. He might take him to place from place to place, but really is not involved in what is going on in those places. Now, the authoritative parenting style is defined as parenting style by high responsiveness and high demands. An authoritative parent are responsive to their child's emotional needs while having high standards. They set limits and are very consistent in enforcing those boundaries. Now, that's a very, very healthy way to uh, parent. So when you have an authoritative parenting style, you're teaching the child to deal with issues as they come up that may have not been predicted and to problem solve through those conflicts. It's difficult because it's teaching that child how to be flexible. And the outcome, even though 
with an authoritarian parent, you've got to be involved. You've got to – or authoritative parent, you've got to be involved. You've got to uh, 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 take part in your child's events. You have to uh, – Praise them for the successes, support them for their challenges, not discipline them for their challenges. So it's a way of approaching parenting that's going to later lead to more flexibility. And that flexibility at home and in school will, of course, later lead to more flexibility in the workplace. Psychological flexibility has been found to improve mental health and absence rates. A mediating variable is job control, which, which suggests that people feel when, which suggests that people feel they have more psychological flexibility when they have more control over their jobs. This is likely due to workers feeling less restricted by what they're allowed to do and more empowered to solve a problem. A longitudinal study on psychological flexibility and job control showed that these variables predicted workers' mental health, job performance, and even their ability to learn new software. The study demonstrates the power of psychological flexibility in the workplace as psychologically flexible workers have better mental health and job performance. Allowing more job control would likely increase work productivity and it would increase the worker's psychological flexibility. In leadership studies, flexibility defined as the ability to get along with different groups and adapt to demands of, of many organizations is one aspect of portability or the ability to acquire skills and move from one company to the next. Now, again, that psychological flexibility is going to allow you to enjoy your job more. And to be able to move up in your job or do different things in your job rather than always kind of sticking with the same thing. One of the issues that was brought up there is adaptability. Now, what we used to call mental retardation is now called intellectual disability. If a person has an intellectual disability, the defining aspect of the intellectual disability is the inability to adapt. It is not how well they score on an IQ test or how many math questions they can do. The true definition of mental retardation, developmental delay, or intellectual disability is the inability to adapt to the world around you. So if you're having challenges in adaption, you're definitely going to have those same challenges in psychological flexibility. Why do I bring this up? Don't ask the blind to see, don't ask the deaf to hear, don't ask the emotionally disturbed child to feel comfortable or be comfortable. These are things that they have not been able to adapt to in their world. So if there is adaption issues, 
you may have to look at starting a series of activities or events that will lead to adapting. For instance, one thing that you might do is say, okay, we're going to jump on both feet. And so the kid, this is a very simple way to adapt. It's going to jump on both feet. Jumping, 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 jumping. Now we're going to jump on our right foot only. Jumping, 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 jumping. Now we're going to jump on our left foot only. Jumping, 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 jumping. Now I want you to follow me. When I jump on my right foot, I want you to jump on your right foot. When I jump on my left foot, I want you to jump on my left foot, on your left foot. And when you ju- when I jump on both feet, I want you to do the same and jump on both feet. So now you're going to jump a couple times on the right, jump, 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 and you see if the kid is jumping on his right foot. Then you're going to switch when he's not aware of it or doesn't expect it. And... And actually, he is going to be expecting it because you've told him you're going to switch. So now those little anxieties that he might deal with in in the past, you're you're putting him into an anxious situation that you're giving him problem resolution around. So it's going to be show him that he can deal with his own anxieties. So then he's going to jump a little bit on his left foot while you're jumping on your left foot and then both feet. You see what I'm talking about? You're teaching him through a physical way, how to adapt. Psychological flexibility. How could we do that verbally? Well, we could tell a story. We could tell a story of the three little pigs and never use the word blow. So even though the wolf's going to blow down the house, we're going to have to use a different word push down the house with his breath, moved the air out of his mouth and moved it towards the house. And the wolf huffed and puffed and made the house come down with his air. We're using different psychological flexibility tools to create that flexibility that's so desired. So, We've come to the end of the show. We're going to be back next week. Uh, sorry, we probably will not be back next week, but we'll be back soon with part three. And we will discuss, continue to discuss flexibility. We'll get into functional contextualism. And we might even be able to explore some of the other issues in regards to mindfulness, including the idea of how you can become a better problem solver. So remember that on strategies and solutions, taking on the challenge of Dr. Sean, we're about your success and know that each day can be a new, the new future you dream of having in your life. See you next time. Blessings. Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the Challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.